You're listening to the Q's Podcast, Episode 72. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Q's Podcast. This is the forum where we connect you with credit union industry leaders as well as cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager. It means a lot to us that you continue to make this show part of your day. We appreciate your being committed to growing together as credit union professionals. We have a lot of loyal listeners out there. I want to give thanks for all the supporters from the show in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, Jacksonville, Florida, Visalia, California, Indianapolis, Indiana, Overland Park, Kansas, Mankato, Minnesota, New Cumberland, Tennessee, Warner Robins, Georgia, Clearwater, Florida, Portland, Oregon, and LA, and also from listeners from Canada, Ireland, Jamaica, Toga, and the Ivory Coast. Of course, there are too many places to name right now, but we thank you all for your support and sharing the Q's podcast with your colleagues. Today's guest is Jamie Strayer. By the end of this episode, I think you might agree with me that Jamie is a pioneer for her work to help credit unions really differentiate themselves from other financial institutions, and she does this by implementing strategies that harken back to the historical foundation of the credit union movement. Jamie Strayer founded CU Strategic Planning in 2008. She develops innovative, effective lending programs to increase impacts and ROA. Jamie is one of several hundred credit union development educators and one of less than 100 with a prestigious international designation. Jamie's passion for credit union stems from her heritage in the historical cooperative village of Zor, Ohio, considered to be the most successful cooperative society in America and designated as one of the 25 most significant historic places in the nation. Some highlights of the interview include What is the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, or CDFI? Does being certified as a CDFI bring additional regulatory scrutiny? Why do you think more credit unions do not take advantage of the program? What should a credit union consider before applying? This topic has been in the trade press recently. Since administration change, the president continues to zero the program out of the budget. Is the CDFI program at risk of losing its funding with federal budget cuts? And how does CDFI differ from the NCUA's low-income designation? If a credit union is successful with obtaining a low-income designation, is it disqualified from being a CDFI? And what is the most inspiring CDFI project that Jamie has ever worked on? All right, Q's Podcast Nation, here's my interview with Jamie Strayer. Hi, Jamie. It's a special treat to have you on the show. Thanks for spending some time with our Q's Podcast listeners. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Now, Jamie, you're doing some amazing things today with your organization, Credit Union Strategic Planning. You're helping so many credit unions and their community members, but you didn't start your professional career initially working with credit unions, but you did spend a lot of time of the philosophy of people helping people. I find your career path quite interesting Uh, You have a very fun and unique journey. There's only one person who's had this journey that you have, and that's you, Jamie. Could you please give our listeners a quick one-minute backstory of your professional journey? Sure. I started in PBS television production, actually quilting shows. Made a meaningful jump to credit unions, starting BizKids, and then CU Strategic Planning. It uh, it was a calling, and and there were two, two kind of impetuses for that change. I was raised in a historical cooperative village, giving tours with my grandmother. So cooperative, kind of in my blood. 
And I also grew up in Diebold's research and development lab. My favorite uncle was the chief principal engineer, and he holds the patents on pneumatic tubes in the ATM. And that's really connected to credit unions because credit unions historically invented most of the financial products in the marketplace today. And that is really what drives me. It's what drives me related to CDFI. CDFI is really the carrot for credit unions trying something new and even inventing new financial products. If you have a million dollars in loan loss reserves, what's to prevent a credit union from trying something new when they're not going to lose even a penny? I remember that story. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that again with our listeners. That's pretty interesting with your, your uncle there. Now, Jamie, often start the show with a bit of inspiration. Would you be willing to share with our listeners a mantra or success quote that you live by professionally? Okay, this uh, this success quote is slightly longer than the ones you may hear otherwise, but it means so much to me. It's Franklin Roosevelt's Man in the Arena. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds that could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, but believes there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do those deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. I think that's true for credit unions. If you look at Joe Brantucci, and what he did at GTE, that was the greatest turnaround in the history of the credit union movement. He was crazy to take that job. The net worth of GTE was down to 3%. He was poised to be at the helm of the biggest credit union failure in the history of the movement. And yet he took the job. The only reason that regulators didn't shut it down to begin with and recruited him to try it was that GTE's failure would have caused the biggest loss ever to the share insurance fund. And the ripple effect would have closed probably several hundred small credit unions. And by uh, by saving GTE, he saved those credit unions. And, and they were critics of that. And and those those same critics of the character based lending, the high yield lending that he he did that with, they're the ones that have zero percent loan loss reserves and low yields on loans and no loan growth or low loan growth. And they're and they're playing it safe. And they're the ones at risk. They aren't just critical of this type of lending, they're the critics of their own members. And they'd rather pay $100, reward a A-plus credit union member to bring an auto loan that's yielding nothing than make a decredit loan to a consumer with safe controls. And, and it makes no sense in the financials. And, and that's why I love that quote. It really is not just personally motivating, but it can be applied to any business and certainly the credit union industry. Wow, beautiful quote. That's certainly... You sharing that certainly gives some perspective about why you do what you do and, and how you get things done and, and that rationale. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Uh, no one has ever shared that before, and I've had a lot of guests. Uh, so that's why it's great to, to listen into people's comments. Uh, you can learn a lot about each other and uh, gain some great perspective. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. Jamie, you're a ROA driver and a loan growth expert. You've leveraged your experiences to develop innovative products and programs for credit unions. 
The organization is a most successful developer. And of course, I'm talking about credit union strategic planning. Your organization is the most successful developer of award-winning U.S. Treasury CDFI fund applications for credit unions. Thank you for sharing your perspective and experience with our listeners today. I'm pretty excited about this. Now, let's focus on CDFI fund today. The CDFI fund is now over 20 years old. What is a CDFI? A CDFI is a financial institution that receives a special designation from the U.S. Treasury, and it does so by documenting several several things. A credit union meets six of the seven criteria automatically, no problem. But the one that determines if a credit union can qualify is, does it provide 60% or, or greater of its loan to working class people, moderate to low income people? And if it, if it does that, then it can become a CDFI. That's exactly why credit unions were created. Credit unions were created to serve working class people. Absolutely. You check your credit union history. That was the foundation, and, and that's what they're continuing to do today. That's what makes them so special. Now, how do they do this, though, Jamie? So the, the CDFI fund has many programs, and it has new programs sometimes. One time it had a secondary capital program, for example. But the program that matters most is the CDFI core program. And it has granted $2.3 billion to certified financial institutions, supporting them to increase their funding. Last year, it provided $165 million in grants, but only 43 credit unions received those awards. So that's amazing. Uh, Why is this important? This is a huge opportunity for credit unions. For context, CIA Strategic Planning has won $103 million of, of CDFI grant funding for credit unions in the last 10 years. That funding produced $5 billion in loans that the credit unions otherwise would not have done. And that high-yield lending, with every penny covered by loan loss reserves, drives ROA. And this is where it gets really good. That ROA allows them to grow faster. They can accept more deposits while preserving their net worth. And when they approve those loans, people tell their friends and family, that credit union gave me a loan. You should go there. And so the organic growth also occurs without spending more money on marketing. This program is rocket fuel for credit unions. Our credit unions see this. Their average ROA is four times the industry average. And that's without the grant money. Now, there are some big benefits in terms of uh, the American taxpayers, what are the biggest benefits of CDFIs to our American taxpayers? The CDFI program reduces the number of people on entitlement programs. So here's some examples. When you give a car loan to a low-income person that might not otherwise be approved, that person stays off of unemployment. When you give a $1,500 unsecured loan to a minimum wage earner, to go to technical school, and they increase their earnings by approximately 78%, that person doesn't need food stamps. When you give business micro-business loans, they create jobs. This program is, is the one thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on in Congress because they hear from their own constituents about the impact that it's having in their lives. Great series of benefits there. Obviously, it benefits members of credit unions, but it benefits the the whole state that they're in and the greater community. Thank you for sharing that. 
In fact, I think later in the conversation will kind of lead to government and, and political conversations that are going on concerning this. But first, uh, you've stated, I know before, that credit unions are CDFIs, but not all CDFIs are credit unions. Could you provide some more clarity for our listeners? So loan funds, banks, and venture capital funds, they can also be CDFIs, but most of them don't meet the criteria. And, and when I said that there was seven criteria, one of those criteria is that the financial institution be accountable to its target market, its community. And so our credit unions, they're locally owned. They're owned by the members. Inherently, they are accountable to their community. But banks, if you think of the shareholders, uh, the, the board of directors of Bank of America living in gated communities, well, they have no accountable to working class, low to moderate income people, and they can't meet that criteria. And as a result, it's really good for taxpayers. This means that these grants aren't going to those institutions where the CEOs could just end up with that money as a bonus. Great insight there. Now, does being certified as a CDFI bring additional regulatory scrutiny? What does that look like? If I was a credit union CEO, I would definitely be interested in that question as a, as a top priority in considering the program. No, it does not bring additional regulatory scrutiny. The opposite is true. So credit unions that do not have, for example, the low-income designation, they can become a CDFI and receive an exemption from the member business lending cap. Even for the grants, even if they win a grant, the Treasury is not a regulatory body. Only the NCUA is a regulatory body, and the NCUA has provided very clear guidance on the accounting practices for the grant funding. So the credit union just abides by that practice, and they have no additional regulatory scrutiny. Why do you think more credit unions did not take advantage of the program then? I think that this is involved in the, the history of the founding of the CDFI program, that it's, it's 20 years old, and it is truly an inspiring program, but it started out as a liberal East Coast program. The Federation, Cliff Rosenthal was involved in its founding, and he has a book out. And you know, the Federation was headquartered in, in New York City, and, and many of the credit unions there served fringe um, groups and, and immigrants, and they certainly need that service. But even now, the Federation, it, it changes names to an inclusive, in, inclusive, inclusive. Uh, and it's it's not a trade association anymore. It's a social justice organization. They just changed this past year. And the marketing remains very liberal within credit unions. And that's wrong because the program isn't liberal or conservative. Uh, as we're going to talk about, the Republicans funded it at record levels. And so if you look at credit unions being kind of split down the middle on political views and the perception that something could be very liberal, and the history of credit unions that were involved being really small and serving fringe populations, many mainstream credit unions, especially bigger credit unions that are running financial institutions that are very sophisticated, they just thought, it's not for us. We don't qualify for that. But now some of the largest credit unions in the nation are CDFIs. We've really opened their eyes. I mentioned GTE previously, Suncoast, Lake Trust, Royal Credit Union, Vantage West, Empower, Harborstone, these are all billion-dollar-plus credit unions that are CDFIs that have won grants. One thought is that, you know, one needs to be informed, right? And then there's a transition with, you know, how that is marketed and communicated. 
What should a credit union consider before applying? They should consider their financials. And in considering their financials, don't apply if you can't win. But herein is the question. How do they know if their financials will win? So we do a financial analysis before even talking about the grant. If a credit union calls us, we're running their financials before we schedule a time to talk. It really upsets me. Um, I, I review grants, and when I see a grant that's lost and they don't have the financial characteristics to win, it, it upsets me when they've, they've paid good money to have that grant written, in, and it should never have been written in the first place. If, uh, if a credit union calls us and we see that, I say, oh, we can't write this. You're not going to win, and it's unethical for anyone to take your money, so don't pay anyone to write this grant, not just us, but anyone. Wow, interesting. This topic has been in the trade press recently, right? Since the administration change, the president continues to zero the program out of the budget. Is the CDFI program at risk of losing its funding with federal budget cuts? It does make for sensational headlines. It's also an opportunity for our credit union trade associations to show their value to their members. The reality of this is that when the president talks about zeroing out the budget, it's actually the legislative body, not the executive body that sets the budget. And the legislative body has funded this at record levels for the prior two years. Each of the years it was in the headlines, zeroed out of the budget. And the Republican-controlled budget has funded each year at a record level. They're sending a clear message to the administration saying, we support this program. We also, of course, are, are supporting you and and looking at ways to deliver to your constituency on, you know, reducing the budget. But this program, we're solidly behind. So right now, do you think it's getting the attention it deserves? Uh, I think that it's going to receive more attention. So there, there was an interesting turn of events last week. Jody Harris is the new director of the CDFI fund. She was very savvy in including something in this recent application called the Opportunity Zones. And it was incredibly savvy because the president, uh, we know that he really is knowledgeable about real estate investing. And this Opportunity Zone gives capital gains exemption to real estate investors in these specially designated census tracts. The entire CDFI grant is written about how can CDFIs invest loans in those same tracts and how can they support the Opportunity Fund investors. The next day after the president talked about the Opportunity Fund, and it was just the week following the release of this new application, um, Mnuchin came out in his own press statement, which was carried in the credit and trade press that said, you know, the president, the administration, we were rethinking this CDFI thing. We didn't see the value before, but we are now. So I, I really praise Jody Harris and her sophistication in seeing, you know what, the best way to get the administration on board and to stop seeing these headlines about the program being zeroed out when we know it's not going to happen, is to align it with something that really matters to the administration. And, and that's what's been done. Great to hear. Now, a lot of our listeners are familiar with NCUA's low-income designation. How does CDFI differ from the NCUA's low-income designation? The low-income designation is 
quicker and easier to get. It's just a run of the ARIES file, but it doesn't have ways to manipulate the data. And so the CDFI certification is more cumbersome. It's a lot more work and technical work, but it's easier to obtain. There are many ways to manage the data to show that a credit union can become a CDFI. And you don't need to have the low-income designation to be a CDFI. That's one of the popular misconceptions. One is run by the Treasury and the other is run by the NCUA. They are distinctively different organizations. Again, excellent clarity. Thanks for clearing that up. Now, if a credit union is unsuccessful with obtaining a low-income designation, is it disqualified from being a CDFI? Absolutely not. They are two... The designation and the certification are from two different and independent bodies within the government. The NCUA and the Treasury have no contact on one qualification or the other. Now, I have to ask, you have so much experience. Nobody's written more grants about CDFI projects than you. If you think back, what is the most inspiring CDFI project that you're currently working on or currently have worked on? Wow. The one I'm working on now is, is the most inspiring, but it's, it's confidential. So you'll have to ask me that question next year. But it, the, of those that I can share, the one that I, I think is, is truly inspiring is a, a, a program where we look at minimum wage earners and how little they make and how they struggle and how their children struggle. And there's no reason for them not to have access to earn more and to have young people working those minimum wage jobs and, and building uh, their, their first lessons in, in financial security. But the only thing they need to do is obtain a technical certificate, a skill. And there's tons of research showing that there's a skilled gap, that companies could grow more if we had skilled talent. But there's, there's a reason why those minimum wage earners uh, with children aren't obtaining technical certificates. Uh, there's two reasons, actually. One is that Pell Grants do not cover certificates. They only cover degrees. So they cannot receive a Pell Grant to go get that certificate. And the second is that credit unions and banks cannot give a student loan because it's not a degreed. And most credit unions have policies against giving unsecured loans for educational purposes. So the program that we designed addresses this. It, it provides the unsecured loan for them to go to get that technical certificate. But there's the other barrier to that person going to get that certificate, and that's they can't afford to take time away from their minimum wage job where they're not going to be able to pay for their food and apartment. This is where it gets inspiring. The credit union provides a living wage replacement. So it takes their salary and calculates it for the three months or so that they'll be in that program and disperses the loan as wage replacement, paychecks. And they only do it while the consumer is in the program. So if they drop out, they don't give it right up front. They could spend it. If they drop out, they're not doing it. It, it mitigates the risk. And both of those loans are paid after they complete it, a month after, because they only do this through a state uh, technical colleges, and only with ones that have a 95% or greater job placement. So they're very specific even about the programs to make sure that they're not creating a worse situation for the consumer. And 
And to me, that that's just absolutely inspiring because you think about these these children living in these homes and parents that they they're working, they're working not lazy. They might even be working two minimum wage jobs, and the, and the difference that this can make in in those for those families and, and for those children. Wow, that is so touching. It's breaking barriers. You've been doing this for a long time. Your organization's been doing this for a long time. You're truly making a difference. Thank you. I think our listeners have to be touched as well. Thank you for putting your time, effort, and energy into helping families and doing that through programs, through credit unions. This is wonderful. I'm curious, you connect with credit unions. Credit unions hear about what you do over there and your team writing grants. Nobody knows more than you. But then there's a point where credit unions need to find, target, market, inform, and educate their potential members or members, members in their people in their community. Is that difficult to do? What is, do you know what that process looks like? Are you involved in that anyway? Do you have suggestions that you have for your client credit unions that you're working with? Yeah, we do. We provide this service called First Voice, and it's participatory action research where we basically hold a community summit. And we invite nonprofit leaders in the community as well as social service agencies and government leaders like the director of the community development department and representatives from the mayor's office. And we ask them in advance through a survey, what are the, what are the programs that you're working on? What do you think that the greatest challenges are in the community? And then we align that with a, a 90 point assessment that's, that's showing up. And from BLS and from NeighborWorks and PolicyMap and uh, Census and, and target in and find out what's going on in the community. And through the conversation, what we're prepared in advance for it, we help the community to have its own epiphany about how the credit union can be involved and help. And so uh, here's, a, here's a simple example. So if we look at the YWCA, they have morphed primarily into being women's and children's shelters for women uh, and children experiencing domestic violence, uh, a place for them to go and to be safe and relaunch. And they have limited capacity on their beds. And, and we know that. Every community we go into, we know that. So I, typically, as far as facilitation, I'll go directly to that and, and kick things off so that everybody else can have their own epiphany. I'll say, what is it that is keeping you from having even greater impacts? And, and they'll always say that it's about the best. And then I'll share, did you know that this credit union is, is a, a CDFI? And that, that means that they have a special designation showing that the majority of their loans are to low to moderate income people and that they are open to de designing new products. And, and one of those products could be a credit establishment because that's one of the issues with getting apartments is women were prevented from having any credit by their male partner. It's a, a controlling thing. And, and as well, we can establish first-time checking and even a credit establishment loan where they put no money down. The, we, we get, you get the loan, but you don't get it. We keep it in savings. It's no risk to us. You make the payments. The money's released. And, you know, we can, in a, in a matter of, of three months, get those beds freed up for you. And by the way, if they get a job, we'll also do 
an unsecured first and last month's rental deposit loan. And they are just blown away when we say that. And then the other organizations in the audience, they immediately, they start sharing. Do you do that? Oh, here's what we're working on. Here's our challenge. And it's just fabulous. And there's this huge community epiphany of this organ, this, this credit union is different. We want to partner with it. And, and they start from that point on, the whole community changes. And instead of coming to the credit union and saying, will you sponsor our event? That's not partnership. Partnership is when two organizations have a shared activity and they're both investing mutual resources. In it. And so it just changes the entire way the credit union is engaged with its community. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. And I like what you said there with the the partnerships, to have real partnerships, what that really means. So that's a neat way how credit unions can start generating this program and connecting with members who need it. Really interesting. You're getting leaders together in the not-profit sector, and these leaders operate organizations that also fulfill some needs of the same target potential membership base. Interesting. Yeah, if, if you think about it, like you go to the credit union for a purpose. It's kind of like you don't just go to the dry cleaners to hang out. You go to get your clothes cleaned, your dry cleaned. So, you know, why are these people going to payday lenders, right? They have a purpose and they don't think the credit union is going to meet that need. And it's intimidating. So by working with these community organizations that are already helping them, then they become familiar with the credit union and the credit union's design products for that partnership, it becomes a pipeline of loans for the credit union. It's a completely different dynamic than, hey, can you give us $100 and put your logo on a banner? Right. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, and, and people are always looking how, what are some ways that credit unions can differentiate themselves from fintechs and, of course, large banks and community banks? Well, certainly here is one arena, one space yeah, that, I think that, that can be done. You can tell I get excited when you, when you say that. There's this constant question, and every year it's big on the speaker circuit and op-eds in the trade press, will credit unions remain relevant? And the reality is that credit unions will always remain relevant if they stay true to their purpose. They are always going to be financial predators. That's the nature of, unfortunately, humankind. And it's true historically and geographically. If you look at why credit unions and cooperatives were started with the Rochdale pioneers, cooperatives were started to overcome nefarious produce vendors from putting coal on scales or predators selling food to people in Germany. And so groups came together and created their own store to sell their own produce. That was the first cooperative. If you look geographically in Mali, West Africa, where I went to do a Goodwill mission on behalf of the World Trade Center to study this issue. In areas that had credit unions, they were more prosperous and there was less poverty. In the areas that did not have a credit union, predatory lenders were lending seeds. They were providing poor quality seeds that were not going to have agricultural yields. And they were selling them at a rate that was more than they knew that the local village could produce to pay it off and they were payday lenders type of activity isn't going to go away and credit unions doing just what we're doing now and never changing what we're doing is not going to keep us relevant we need to remain relevant by seeing what is it that people need and continuing to 
look at the ways to meet those needs. For credit unions that aren't doing that, they're becoming or are going to become irrelevant. And they're the ones where CUNA's economists are saying you need to have 80% loan-to-share ratio to survive. They're the ones that don't have that loan-to-share ratio. There isn't a need in their community, and they're stressing out about how do we market, how much money do we have to spend on marketing to get that up. And they're the ones that aren't going to be here tomorrow. But you're in the right spot. You've kind of been doing this kind of stuff, um, not directly with credit unions, your old professional career, but um, you kind of have been doing similar things. This is so neat to have. You're you're like the you're a pioneer in the credit union space. It's so interesting. It's Paul's family uh, bloodlines here. It sounds like. Thanks, James. I have to say that's one of the greatest compliments that I've ever received. Thank you. I'm humbled by that. Well, you are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Now, before we conclude our conversation today, now is a great time to share with our listeners that you and your colleague, Michael Bell, will be two of the featured speakers and educators at the 2019 Q's ExecuNet. ExecuNet is a professional development opportunity to learn, grow, and network with other credit union CEOs, senior executives, board chairs and directors, and supervisory committee members. We provide a deep dive set of sessions in the morning, and then you have the afternoon to connect with others in the industry and explore nature. The 2019 Q's ExecuNet is taking place August 11th through the 14th at a beautiful location at the Summit at Big Sky Resort in Big Sky, Montana. We will have a total of four speakers. You and Mike will share your insights on Wednesday, August 14th. You'll be leading a session entitled Increasing Profitability, Relevance, and Operational Effectiveness with a Strategic Audit. Jamie, for those listeners who might be interested in attending, could you please share a brief outline of what they can expect from your session? Thank you for the opportunity of of having us speak at that event first. The attendees can expect to leave our session with strategies and tactics on how to implement much of what we've discussed today. With a strategic audit, they can look at, are we examining what products that our members and the community actually need? Are our policies addressing the ways that we can safely provide products that make us relevant? There are many aspects of this, including identifying not what the lowest rates are of the credit unions and banks in your market, which really doesn't have anything to do with competitiveness if you look at profitability, but what are the gaps in the marketplace and how do you go about finding them? Listeners, it's hard to have this knowledge base. Jamie and her team, and in this case, Jamie and her colleague, Mike Bell, will do this session on that Wednesday. And just in those four hours of just their session, there's so much to gain and so much wisdom learned, so much perspective. Think about your policies, thinking about your services. Are you best meeting your members' needs? Look at your market. What what could you be doing different? What could you be doing the same? And what could you maybe eliminate? So this is a great opportunity. So uh, thank you for coming to ExecuNet. We're looking forward to that. Thank you, James. Now we'll also have sessions on mapping your technology journey to improve governance and crafting your branch experience in an omni-channel world. That's all this year at the Q's Execu Net event. To check out the agenda and how you can register for the Q's Execu Net, visit qs.org slash en.
cues.org forward slash en. Jamie, if listeners want to connect with you and your organization, what are the best ways to do so? Our web address is a little long, but pull out your pen. It's www.creditunionstrategicplanning.com. They can also call me directly. I'm going to give you my direct to my desk business line. It's 253-604-2220. Again, that's 253-604-2220. Wow, Jamie, listeners can't get it any better than that. Thanks for sharing that information. Jamie Strayer, it was a special treat to connect with you again. Thank you so much for being on the show and spending some time with our absolutely terrific Q's podcast listeners. It's my pleasure, James. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with your listeners. Q's Podcast Nation, thank you so much for making this show part of your day. Thank you for sharing this episode with your team. We hope it serves as a great resource for you. Anytime you'd like to reach out to me and other members of the podcast team, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at cues.org. As noted, Jamie and her colleague Mike will serve as speakers and educators on one of the days of the Q's ExecuNet. It takes place this year, August 11th through the 14th of 2019 at the Summit at Big Sky in Big Sky, Montana. To find out more about this professional on-site event, please visit cues.org slash en. For more talent development content from Q's, visit cumanagement.com. If you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit cues.org slash membership to learn more. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit cues.org today.